Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings in the name of King Jesus, who is risen and ascended, and who on this day has the most important of gifts to give us. Welcome to the online gathering of Samanach Baptist Church for May 23rd, 2021. This online gathering is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 104, verses 24 to 35b. Listen to what Holy Scripture says. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that you formed to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, send forth your spirit upon us this day. You have created us, and we now ask for the renewing work of your spirit. On this day, you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and all of us said together. Amen. Our reading from the Gospels this day comes from John chapter 15, verse 26, through chapter 16, verse 11. John 15, 26 through 
chapter 16, verse 11. This is what the gospel of King Jesus says. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. This is God's word. John 15, verse 26 to 1611 is the text that I want us to pay attention to together today on this day of, do you know what today is? Today is Pentecost. Let's consider a little bit of background here. 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the Passover, Israel's liberator Moses went up a mountain and came down with God's gift to help God's people become what God desired. The Feast of Pentecost, the word Pentecost just means 50. That feast came to remember God's gift of Torah through the liberator who went up the mountain to be with God and to return with God's gift. And that gift was the grace of God helping them become what God desired for them. 50 days after that first Passover, Israel finds themselves at the mountain and glorious, world-changing things happen. 50 days after the ultimate day of atonement, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, 50 days after the world's liberator went up to be with God and sent God's gift to help God's people become what, God's, what God desires. Do you see the connection? 50 days after the Exodus, God's people from above them receive God's gift to help them become who God wants them to be. 50 days after the Day of Atonement, 50 days after Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Jesus, our liberator, went up to be with God and sent God's gift to help God's people become what, God's, what God desires. This is why um, 
This is why N.T. Wright says, when the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain and then came down again with the law. Here, Jesus has gone up into heaven in the ascension. And so Luke in Acts chapter 2 wants us to understand he is now coming down again, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with the dynamic energy of the law designed to be written on human hearts. So the New Testament wants us to see similarities between Moses going up to be with God and then sending God's gift to God's people. Wants us to see similarities between that and then Jesus ascending to be with God and then God's gift being given to God's people. But the New Testament also wants us to see different. That ultimately God did not send from heaven through Jesus' law. He sent from heaven the very life of God, beloved, this day that we remember the birth of the church, this day that we remember the gift of God's Spirit is a day that's worth marking just as significant as Christmas, just as significant as Easter, the day of Pentecost. So before we consider our reading from John 15 and John 16, would you pray together, please, with me one more time? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you needing life, we come to you needing breath, we come to you needing energy. We ask that you would help us to receive and live in light of the good news of God's gift, of God's very life to God's people celebrated on this day of Pentecost. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit and all of us said together, Amen. I hope you are blessed to have a manager like K, the letter K. I don't want to give you this manager's full name, but I hope you are blessed to have a manager like K. I also hope you are never cursed to have a boss like B. So those are the two names. I don't want to give out their full names. But I do hope that at some point you have a leader in your life, that you have a manager in your life like K. And I hope that you never have a boss, a manager like B. Every conversation with B began with B coming up from behind me. Every conversation that I recall ever having with Kay began with Kay offering me a seat at his desk. Every annual review with Kay centered around all that I was contributing and all the potential that I had to contribute more. Every annual review with B centered around what she wanted me to change or correct. Every raise that I ever received from Kay seemed like I was receiving as much as he was able to give. Every raise with B seemed like she was giving the minimum she was required to give. Every memory I have of B's face was her skin was flush 
and her lips were pursed. Every memory that I have of Kay's face, it's soft, and at least, if not more, had a half smile. As I consider my experience of having a boss like B and having a manager like K, I think I could describe it this way. B was known for accusation. K was known for advocacy. B was known for accusation. K was known for advocacy. Do you have a situation or a person in your life that resembles B? Do you have a person in your life or a situation in your life that is characterized by K? Do you have a situation or a person in your life where you feel like you're always being accused? Or do you have a person or a situation in your life where, thanks be to God, you always feel like you're being advocated for? Was your childhood characterized by B's or K's? Was your childhood characterized by accusation or by advocacy? Does your life give off a K energy or a B energy? Does your life give off the energy of accusation or of advocacy? Would others describe your, my, our way as one of advocacy or accusation? There are real spirits of accusation present and active in the world. Jesus, however, ascended by the Spirit and gave the Spirit so that he could be with us, not to accuse us, but to advocate for us. Beloved, God comes to us at Pentecost to be our advocate that's what the Holy Spirit is called by Jesus in our gospel reading. He is called our advocate. So on this Pentecost of 2021, my desire is that we would understand God's advocacy. In order to understand God's advocacy, there's a few things we need to clarify. First, God's advocacy is necessary because of what's wrong with the world. God's advocacy is necessary because of what's wrong with the world. Now, let me define the word advocate. The word in Greek that the NRSV translates advocate, you might have in your translation helper or comforter. It's probably one of the Greek words that maybe if you've been in church any length of time, you understand or you remember. It's the word paraclete. And there's a lot of nuance to what this word could actually mean. And I think advocate is about as helpful a definition as we can find in our English language. The word paraclete, translated in English advocate, is from the verb that literally means to call alongside. So the instance here is of He's not called to face us face to face. Instead, he is called to, to come alongside, to be with us, to be moving in the same direction that we are moving, and that he is called alongside us for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of exhortation. Now, our reading comes near the conclusion of what we know as the upper room discourse. Jesus has been talking in this upper room about many different things that center around 
one thing. The one thing is this gift of the advocate. So to understand a little bit more about our reading, we've got to understand some of the things that Jesus has previously said. So God's advocacy is necessary because of what's wrong with the world. And here's why that's important. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus describes the gift of the advocate first within the context of hostility. The first time Jesus brings up the promised specific gift of the Holy Spirit is in John chapter 14. This is what he says in verse 17, um, 16 rather. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. So this is in the context of him leaving. And then there's another person of the Godhead who's going to be sent. And he's going to come and do the same thing Jesus did. He's going to come to help. He's going to come to advocate. Verse 17, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Verse 19, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. One more verse 30 of chapter 14. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. So those references, one, to the word world, describe that Jesus promises the advocate in the context of the world's hostility to Jesus, his teaching, his deeds, his love for others. So within the context of that hostility, the advocate comes to love, to help, and to encourage. Again, the gift of the Spirit is in the context of Jesus commanding us to love him and his Father. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse uh, 17, you know him, the advocate, because he abides with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Verse 20, on that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, those who love me, will keep my word and my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me, this context of love. And then verse 31, but I do, Jesus says, as the father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise, let us be on our way. So within the context of hostility, Jesus promises the advocate to come to us to help us endure that hostility by the Spirit coming to love with the triune love of heaven being shared with us who receive the Holy Spirit and with help and with encouragement. 
Beloved, the advocate, the Holy Spirit is the loving and personal connection of the triune God sent to help, love, and encourage. That's a good summary of what Pentecost is. The Pentecost is the advocate being sent. Who is the advocate? He is the loving and personal connection of the triune God. And at Pentecost, he is sent. He is sent to share with us the love of God so that we might be helped and encouraged. So that's a little bit of background about Pentecost and then, and then why the Spirit comes and then what the Spirit is. Now, in our reading this morning, Jesus gets very, very specific. In other words, when the Spirit comes, what is the ministry the Spirit is going to do? Look at chapter 15, verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of, the truth who, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Advocate testifies to Christ. But now the Advocate, again, remember, he's coming to love encourage and exhort. So he's coming to us in the face of rejection. So what is the Spirit going to remind us of? The first few verses of uh, chapter 16 spell this out. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming. Do you remember that phrase from last week? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That means he's going to the cross. Now an hour is coming for the church to suffer in a similar way. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. The advocate comes to testify to the rejected Christ. In other words, there is this fellowship of suffering. The Spirit comes to remind the church that the world rejected Jesus. And if they're rejecting you, it's because of your camaraderie with Jesus. In other words, the Spirit comes to testify on Jesus' behalf. Verse 26. But then notice verse 27 of chapter 15. You also are to testify. So the Spirit comes to bear witness to the fact that Jesus was from another realm. That Jesus lived in a way that this world could not comprehend. And since they could not comprehend it, they rejected him. Now, more specifically, in the second half of our reading, the advocate comes to testify to Christ's testimony about the world now. This is so helpful because what the Spirit comes to do is to help us connect to what we see in the world to what Jesus taught. Second half of verse 4 in chapter 16. 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he's going to do. He is going to prove the world wrong. In other words, he's going to render a verdict about the world. That the world in its hostility to Jesus was wrong about some things. What is the world wrong about? The world is wrong about sin. The world is wrong about righteousness. And the world is wrong about judgment. Jesus now clarifies more about this. Verse 9, about sin. What are they wrong about sin? The reason they're wrong about sin is because they don't believe in Jesus. They're wrong about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. That's this idea that they don't trust that Jesus came from the Father. They don't trust that he's going back to the Father. And in going back to the Father, he becomes king. Well, if you read enthronement psalms in the Old Testament, whenever the king ascends the throne, the fruit that will happen will be the fruit of righteousness. See, the world has this view of justice and righteousness that doesn't look like Jesus. Jesus has a view of righteousness and justice that is healing and restorative. The world has this view of righteousness and justice that is about retribution and punishment. Beloved, Jesus in his earthly ministry, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, is never about retribution. He is about healing and he is about restoration. And then about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. In other words, the world of retribution, the world of punishment, the world that isn't about restoration and healing, the reason it's that way is because of the ruler of the world that Jesus is now, through his death, resurrection, ascension, giving him the spirit, he is going to take care of that ruler. He is going to cast that ruler out. So what the advocate does for the church is it connects them, it tethers them to the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper, the encourager, the exhorter, the very, very love of God who comes to love, encourage, and exhort us. What he wants to do in our midst is testify to what Jesus says about the world. John's gospel has prepared us for this teaching in chapter 1, verse 5, and verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, John began this way, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Jesus came, and what was the world's response? Even the religious world's response of his day? Rejection. John 3, verse 17, one of those unfortunate verses that never gets remembered because the one before it is so famous. Listen to these words. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him, the Son, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. 
Same word about the judgment that the Spirit comes to remind us Jesus rendered to the world. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. True justice, true righteousness, God's understanding of how to deal with sin came to us in Jesus, and the world said, nope. We're going to respond with retribution. We're going to respond with violence. We're going to respond with punishment. And the world is proven wrong in that regard because they punished. They acted, retri- they acted in retribution against the innocent son of God who never did anything wrong. Jesus, in John 7, puts it very plainly, verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. The word, the world of retribution, the world of violence, the world of striking the cheek of those who strike my cheek, that is evil. Now, to kind of bring this to a conclusion, I think we get a vivid example of how even before Jesus' death, he was confronting the ways of the world. That that, that his life did render a, a, a certain judgment upon the world. And what I want us to see most specifically is how the religious world of Jesus' day had joined forces with the world that was ordered and structured against God. So if you would turn in your copy of God's Word to John 9, there's just a few things that I want us to see about how Jesus' life confronts the world in its wrongness. Have you ever thought about that question? What's wrong with the world? John 9 gives us a very vivid description of what's wrong with the world first. The world scapegoats. The world blame shifts. When something goes wrong, what does the world do? The world tries to find someone to blame so that we can eliminate that person and things can go back to normal. Look at verse 2 of John 9. His disciples asked him, Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They had just seen a man who was blind from birth that everybody knew. And what do these religious folks in Jesus' day do? They don't ask, how can we help? They ask, who can we blame? In other words, who can we say it's their fault that this happened? What's wrong with the world? The world sees a problem in the world. Scapegoats tries to project everything that's wrong with the world upon that person or that group of persons. Beloved, so much of the racial conflict in our day is connected to scapegoating. It's connected to identifying a group of people and saying, they're bad, they're less than than what we are. That's what's wrong with the world. Not only does the world scapegoat, the world projects. After this big, huge, long, like complicated, religious, violent mess, it all comes down to this. Look at verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? 
Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is this brilliant conclusion to help us understand this story that, that ultimately the reason the Pharisees were so fixated on this blind man being healed is because they saw in him something that made them feel vulnerable. They had a spiritual blindness and they were projecting that upon this man born blind and Jesus exposes it for them. So in a world that scapegoats, in a world that projects what we don't like about ourselves on others, what is the result? The result is violence. The result is even religious violence. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So what do they do with him? They, they, they put him out of the synagogue. Thirty-four, they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. What's wrong with the world is the world scapegoats, the world projects, the world does religious violence. But the good news of Pentecost is that the Spirit is given to help us remember the truth about God in the world, to testify to Jesus that he came to not live according to the system of scapegoating and projection and violence, but came to unmask that evil and rob that evil of its power. So how can we then adapt this Pentecostal message? This good news of Pentecost to our context. There's two words that I want us to think on to adapt Pentecost into our context. The first word is diverse unity. I understand that's two words. We've got an adjective and a noun. Diverse unity. When the Old Testament promises that which is fulfilled on Pentecost, there are many, many themes that are connected to this, one of which is Diverse people being brought together. Listen to Joel 2, one of the readings from the prophets for Pentecost. Then afterward, Yahweh says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit that's verses 28 and 29. And then the result, verse 32, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just Jews, but men, women, boys, girls, old, young, every ethnicity will call on the name of Israel's God and they will be saved and made into one people. Daniel in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, sees something very similar to where Jesus, the Son of Man, ascends as the King of heaven and earth. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That as Jesus ascends to the throne room of heaven, to the oval office of the universe, he gives a gift, the spirit. And that spirit calls together all nations and all peoples into one people of God. So the fruit of Pentecost is not a church for this race and this status, and then a church for this other race and this other status, but Pentecost is about us leaving aside all of those other spirits that divide us and being brought together in one diverse unity. Word number one for Pentecost diverse unity. The second word for Pentecost that I would like us to to meditate on is a word that we hear a lot about, especially lately. It's the word contagion. This idea that sometimes there are viruses or germs in the air that have within them this power to affect things in a very real way way. Frederick Beekner describes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the context of contagion. Listen to what he says. The word spirit has come to mean something pale and shapeless, like an unmade bed, school spirit, the American spirit, the Christmas spirit, the spirit of 76, the Holy Spirit. Each of these points to something that you know is supposed to get you to your feet cheering, but that you somehow can't rise to. The adjective spiritual has become downright offensive. If somebody recommends a person as spiritual, you tend to avoid that person, and usually with good reason. Inspiring is even worse. Inspirational is worse still. Inspirational books are almost invariably for the birds. Like its counterpart in Hebrew and Greek, the Latin word spiritus originally meant breath, as in expire, respiratory, and so on. The breath is what you have when you're alive and don't have when you're dead. Thus, spirit equals breath equals life, the aliveness and power of your life. And to speak of your spirit is to speak of the power of life that is in you. When your spirit is unusually strong, the life in you unusually alive, you can breathe it out into other lives. You can become literally in Inspiring spirit, Beekner continues, is highly contagious. When people are very excited, very happy, or very sad, you can catch it from them as easily as measles or a yawn. You can catch it from what they say or from what they do or just from what happens to the air of a room when they enter it without saying or doing anything. Groups have a spirit, as anybody can testify who has ever been caught up in the spirit of a football game, a political rally, or a lynch mob. Spirit can be good 
or bad. Spirit can be healing or destructive. Spirit can be transmitted across great distances of time and space. God also has a spirit. God is spirit, says the Apostle John in chapter 4, verse 24. Thus, God is the power of the power of life itself. God has breathed and continues to breathe life into his creation. He inspires it. The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost is highly contagious. When Peter and his friends were caught up in it at Jerusalem on Pentecost, everyone thought they were drunk, even though the sun was not yet over the yard arm. They were. Beloved, false spirits will bear fruit. False spirits will bear the fruit of scapegoating, the fruit of projection, the fruit of violence. Beloved, even these false spirits that are found at political rallies, that are found at athletic contests, these spirits are religious. Beloved, the church was birthed at Pentecost so that we would be a people who were not made to live by the spirits of scapegoating, projection, and violence, who were not made to be enlivened by the spirit of a particular nation or of a particular ideology, but with the very spirit of God, which is the spirit that connects in personal form the Father and the Son for eternity. And then now that spirit has been given upon all who believe in Jesus' name that we may be connected to to God and connected to all who are connected to God. Beloved, my manager B had a spirit about her. My manager K had a spirit about him. B's spirit was one of accusation. In a certain sense, I would say K's spirit was one of advocacy. Beloved, the spirit of heaven, the spirit of Pentecost, the life that birthed the church is a spirit of advocacy. May the spirit of heaven, the spirit of Pentecost, the spirit that is the life that birthed the church, may that spirit animate your life. May that spirit animate my life. May that spirit uh, animate our life as a church that we might be characterized by not a spirit of accusation, but a spirit of advocacy. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort and advocacy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you are our advocate, we now come to you in goodness and loving kindness, asking you to save us, not because of anything we have done, but in mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit.
because you are our advocate. We now confess our sins, most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. This Spirit, triune God, you pour out on us richly, O God, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that the very life of heaven is a life of advocacy. By the Spirit of God, would you silence the voices of accusation in our lives? Would you help us and equip us to not project upon the triune God the voices of accusation, but to trust that the voice that is the most real is the voice of advocacy. God of abiding presence, you lead us by your spirit and claim us as your children. Call us in righteousness and renew us in hope that we may be messengers of your advocacy, fearlessly announcing your salvation. Through Jesus who taught us, we pray for the coming of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for this time of online discipleship. I now invite you to receive this benediction. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May grace and peace and everything good be yours. Amen.